Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. A description of this week's headlines would sound a little like the opening of We Didn't Start the Fire. We discuss a whirlwind week and share part two of our military policy discussion with Major Jason Baker. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsy Politics. We really have appreciated everyone's comments on Tuesday's episode. We would love to get into feedback with you today, but not going to have time because <laughs> we've lived approximately seven years in the past three days. So we'll talk about all of the news. Before we dive into that, we want to remind you that if you sign up at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com right now to receive our weekly emails, you will also get an ebook containing all of our foreign policy primers to date. So we hope that you'll do that. You'll also get our Friday messages where we include listener feedback as well as links to articles and podcasts and shows that we're enjoying and would recommend. So pantsypoliticsshow.com to sign up for our email. So I just want to offer a small correction. We don't even have time to do all the news. It's so true. So we're going to have to limit some things like the Trump, Amazon, Washington Post discussion. I have to bump that to a later time because... The FBI raided Donald Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, which seems like a big deal. I think it's a very big deal. When I think about this from a legal perspective, the only thought that I can sort of get my brain around right now is I so hope that every single bit of this was done by the book. Zero mistakes, no overreaching, because to seize evidence from a lawyer is a very big deal. And I just think we're in such a fragile place with how we trust our institutions and what we believe is true. I just hope that this was done with impeccable precision. It seems to me that there's so many layers to get through before they could execute this search warrant that it would have to be executed with a lot of precision. I mean, Rod Rosenstein had to sign off on it. 
Mueller has sent it to somebody else. Like, I don't think Mueller would send it to anyone else unless he thought there was something very good there. And even if he was overestimating, then Rosenstein has to sign off. Then a judge has to sign off on it. So I, I think there's just so many layers. It would be hard to overreact because you have to convince so many people. The system is certainly designed to protect against overreach in a situation like this. And there is a whole team of people who have to review this evidence because it is subject to the attorney-client privilege before prosecutors can use it. It's an important point to know that this was not the special counsel's office Mm -hmm. that did this. It was the Southern District of New York, which is a separate prosecutorial body. So it all happened within the Department of Justice. But it looks like Robert Mueller judged whatever crimes he believes to be surrounding Michael Cohen or whatever evidence of crimes he believed Michael Cohen had to be outside the scope of what he is authorized to do. It is a totally normal thing for prosecutors to refer matters to one another. And that's what happened here. And to Michael Cohen's credit, he said the FBI was like super professionally courteous when they were raiding him. Right. I I am happy that he said that. I thought that that was a helpful thing to say in the midst of a really difficult situation. I don't think that it is helpful to wildly speculate about why certain pieces of evidence were seized or what the connections are. You know, a lot has been made on social media of a leak that part of what they were looking for were records related to the Access Hollywood tape. There is a lot to care about right now. And I say this as a person who is willing to go down some rabbit holes. I just think it's not worth our energy to try to piece together what they're looking for from Michael Cohen. The process just needs to unfold. Well, President Trump's reaction was a little less measured. That is true and Mm -hmm. normal. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of what you see in President Trump's reaction is a failure to separate the arms of the Department of Justice that executed on these actions. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely confused about the process. Well, and here's the other thing I want to say to him. Like, thou dost protest too much. When you react like that, like, I understand that in the world of celebrity news and reality television, adding on the drama is sort of your default reaction. But in the legal world and often in the court of public opinion, usually not the best way to do it. Anne Helen Peterson has a weekly email. This is one of my favorite writers for BuzzFeed. She writes, she has a doctorate in like celebrity studies, which I didn't know was a thing or I would have done it. And she says like, it's sometimes it's important to remember that like the leaks that we always hear about coming out of the White House could definitely be Donald Trump because he loves news. He loves drama. He, he came up in a world of like sort of celebrity PR and reality television when the rules are very different. And I just don't think... I don't it's not that I don't think people are telling him like this is different. Please don't react like this. I just don't think he cares. I think that's right. I think he fights with the tools that he has mm-hmm. and has been doing that his entire life. And I think there are reasons for that that probably should be sorted out in a therapist's office. Like we mm-hmm. all have stuff that mm-hmm. should be sorted out in a therapist's office. I don't mean that in an ugly way. I just don't know that it's going to serve him very well. In the long term here, and it certainly doesn't serve. Let's say that you're Donald Trump and you genuinely in your heart of hearts believe that you have done nothing wrong ever in your life. Which I believe he believes. I I believe he believes that as well. Well, I don't know because he definitely has people cleaning up and paying off. There's a big blockbuster report coming um, out of the New York Times or the New Yorker just as we started recording from Ronan Farrow about some other things that he worked with the National Enquirer to kill. So I don't know if that's necessarily true. Maybe he just thinks I don't do anything wrong, but other people will. You know, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Or other people are out to get me. So they'll use my not wrong things against uh, me. Oh, yeah. Whatever definitely. it is that he thinks. I, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But let's say you genuinely believe that. His tweets hurt other people. Yeah. You know, if he maybe he doesn't believe that he has anything to hide. Great. I hope that he doesn't because I don't want to believe that the president of the United States has been involved in criminal activity. If you genuinely care about your team, I mean, Michael Cohen has gone to the mat for him over and over and over again. Just be quiet. Have the courtesy to be quiet when you could hurt their cases and what's going on around Mm -hmm. them. Well, but his loyalty only runs one way with him, right? He values loyalty to him, but he's not going to be loyal to you. If he thinks for a hot minute that turning on you could help him, he will. It just depresses me, honestly, that the president is tweeting about witch hunts from his own Department of Justice, which is run at every relevant level by Republicans. Mm. Let's 
you know, people keep reminding everyone on Twitter, James Comey is a Republican. Rod Rosenstein's a Republican. Robert Mueller, Republican. (laughs) These are just people who believe in the rule of law. There isn't anything partisan going on here. But everyone wants to believe that. And Donald Trump has made a fortune off talking about the world as though it's out to get him. But it depresses me that while chemical weapons are being used in Syria and he and Vladimir Putin are on Twitter, I don't know, in like a schoolyard fight about what they're going to do about it, that we have all of these layers. You know, he's dealing in America with a search related to a porn star and the Access Hollywood tape. It just feels like a nightmare to me right now. It honestly does. I don't know where the grownups are. Jane and Ellen popped into our bed this morning while we turned the news on and something was going on about the special counsel's investigation. And Jane looked at me and said, what is this, mommy? And I said, Jane, I just don't know how to explain this to you other than that all the adults have forgotten the seven habits. Because she talks about the seven habits all the time at school, you know, sharpen the saw and seek first to understand and then to be understood. And just I don't know. I don't know where our moral compass is right now. Well, and what scares me so badly is that I've mentioned before on the podcast that I'm watching The Looming Tower, although I'm several episodes behind. And, you know, one of the sort of biggest arguments of that show and the book about that time period pre 9-11 is that we were all so distracted by Monica Lewinsky and that scandal that Osama bin Laden and his army were able to build and organize sort of out of the range of attention because we were too distracted by stuff like that. Yes. That's the thing. This is too much pressure, even for someone who has lots of experience and really good judgment and complete emotional intelligence. I'm I'm worried about all of these factors coming together at one time. We had a similar conversation briefly about the governor of Missouri, Eric Greitens, when the criminal indictment came out against him related to an, an affair that he had, but more specifically to a photo that he was alleged to have taken of the woman he was having an affair with without her consent. And now there is this detailed, oh graphic, horrific report about that relationship and again, I mean, I hesitate even, to use the word relationship, I'll be honest. Well, I agree. And even if you look at that and 100% take him at his word, which I will honestly say to you, I have a very difficult time doing. But let's say you can do that, okay? Lots of times courts on different types of motions have to say, I accept all the facts in your favor. So let me do that. I accept all the facts for a moment in his favor. How can you be the governor with that out there? I just don't. It's too much pressure. And that's what I'm considering about this president. Even if I construe all the facts in his favor, how can he be the president amidst all of this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's not just struggles abroad. We're having a very difficult conversation in this country right now about social media, about privacy and about Facebook's role in the 2016 election. Mark Zuckerberg came before Congress to testify about Facebook's role, and particularly their interactions with Cambridge Analytica and the theft of millions of people's personal data from Facebook. I'm not sure a lot of our senators were up to the task of this conversation, which was a little disheartening. Well, it's definitely clear that Mark Zuckerberg prepared more for this hearing than members of Congress prepared mm-hmm. for it. But let me just say, too, though, to his what he said. I like Mark Zuckerberg-ish. I really like Sheryl Sandberg. But I do not buy this. We just didn't even think about it. People were writing on the internet. People within Facebook were sounding the alarm bells. I heard it described on NPR as sort of this walled intellectual garden where they just didn't want to hear it. So please stop saying that you didn't think about it or you hadn't even considered it because people had considered it and they were trying to tell you and you did not want to hear it. So please own the responsibility for that, which I don't feel like they're doing. There's been a lot of interesting writing about how everyone talks about Mark Zuckerberg like a kid Mm -hmm. and how ridiculous that is. And I think it is particularly ridiculous when you stand him next to Sheryl Sandberg, who never gets treated like a kid Mm -hmm. and who never conducts herself like a kid. It's a team of professionals. They're adults. They're some of the best minds in the world. They absolutely were up to this. And like you said, they didn't want to be. And I get it. I get it when Mark Zuckerberg says... I started this company in my dorm room. I didn't set out to decide what's hate speech. Understood. But here you are. 
And you could have and you should have, right, Mm -hmm. on a lot of different fronts. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Pantsuit. The other thing that I've been thinking about with this hearing, though, I know that it's fun and depressing and all the things to talk about how woefully uninformed our senators are on how this technology works. I'll tell you what, though, I think there's also some benefit as Americans for all of us to step back and recognize how many different kinds of conversations we need to be having in our country right now. Yeah. Just about Facebook. (laughs) Just about Facebook, because people are in vastly different places in the way that they understand this technology. It's probably a good thing. I don't think these senators are the only people in America who don't understand how Facebook makes money. There was some serious lecture porn moments going on on Twitter. Like, oh, like, look how dumb they are. Like, that's not helpful. Also, I think that that, like you said, like people are in different places. A lot of Americans aren't much further ahead than them. And that doesn't make them dumb or, you know, Luddites. It just means that we have a lot of people in this country of a lot of different ages and a lot of different technological experiences generationally. And we need to think about what that means. And so in that regard... While the question of, well, if your users don't pay, how are you making money, felt ridiculous to so many of us, there are lots of people around the country who needed to hear Mark Zuckerberg say, well, we sell ads. Mm -hmm. And probably those people have Facebook accounts. You Mm -hmm. know, it's okay. Like, we, we need to have this sorting out process, and it needs to be a process that's available to everyone. That said, I walk away from these two days of hearings more convinced than ever that we are not going to anytime soon 
in America get to a regulatory framework for social media that is anywhere close to meeting the challenges of social media. Because the expertise just isn't there. What frustrates me, though, is it is. It's in Europe. They're trying. Like, why do we have to reinvent the wheel? If other places in the world are further ahead of this than we are, then why can't we look to them as an example and say, okay, they have some regulatory things they're trying. Let's see if that would work here. Yeah, and I think that is probably what could end up happening. There were a couple of references to European regulations throughout the hearings. I would hope that given how much technological innovation originates in the United States, that we could start to get more of that expertise in our governing bodies as well, if for no reason other than to be able to explain to the public what can and can't be dealt with through legislation. I also think because, you know, the Internet makes us think so often about design. The hearings were poorly designed, and I'm not the first person to say this. Every person getting five minutes doesn't lead to any sort of in-depth conversation. Several people brought up really good points. Lindsey Graham was one of them. Are you a monopoly? Okay, let's spend some time talking about this. It felt like, well, we'll fit all of us in a room because Mark Zuckerberg's time is so valuable. Well, sorry. First of all, if he can only be there one day, he's not the only person that can answer these questions. There's lots of experts out there. If we need to have longer hearings and longer conversations about these specific facets of this problem, then we should do that. Also, sorry, adjust your schedule, Mark. Seriously. You can wear a suit for more than two days. Just saying. No, I agree with you. I think that it also gets to tying it back to the Mueller investigation, what Congress does well and what it doesn't do well. Mm -hmm. Hearings like this very often lead to nothing but public spectacle. Mm hmm. The monopoly line of questioning to me is a really effective one because that is something that our government has some expertise in. And and I do think that's a relevant analysis, at least to be asking the questions. I don't know what the answers are, but I think they're really good questions and really important questions. When people talk about the Mueller investigation as a witch hunt, as somebody who's off the rails, whatever, and say this should be within the province of Congress – I think we're forgetting that that's not what Congress does. Congress doesn't investigate crime. To the extent that congressional committees are investigating things related to the Mueller investigation, it is for the purpose of saying, what happened with our election and are there laws that could help protect us in future elections? It is not to be judge and jury about criminal matters, and it's certainly not to be prosecutors about it. Mm -hmm. And so, again, I... Our government was designed with three different branches for a reason, and I feel like a lot of our conversations are losing that right now because they're, we want Congress to be able to solve all the issues with respect to Facebook. It just can't do that. There, there are some executive branch functions that need to be exercised there. I don't think there are criminal aspects of this, but if there were, the judicial sector ought to take that on. And same thing with the Mueller investigation. Like, that is not a legislative function. We should have a team of prosecutors doing that. I just think everybody is blurring all of these lines that that are built to protect us in situations as bizarre as the ones we find ourselves in right now. Well, Congress is about to look very differently based on the announcement from Paul Ryan yesterday that he will not be running for re-election. Kind of shocking. Were you shocked? I was shocked by the announcement in April that he will retire in January. I think that is the most strange aspect of this. I'm not – listen, I'm not surprised by anyone saying this sucks and I want out. Yeah. I I can't imagine anything more miserable than being in Washington, D.C. right now. And I hear everybody going, well, it's their fault. Okay, who, uh, however we got here, I understand that it's miserable and I understand wanting to go home and not be part of it anymore. I hate that. I I wish we had people with a little more fortitude to say, you know what? We made this. We got to unmake it. That's not happening. But I think the timing is what I can't figure out. Mm-hmm. Well, I did a little deep dive into Paul Ryan's life. I knew I didn't know a lot about Paul Ryan, I'll just be honest. So there's been a lot written about his father dying when he was 16, but he found his father dead of a heart attack at 16 years old. And he has this long family history of heart attacks before the age of 60, and that's why he's like such a fitness fanatic. So there's got to be a part of him who's like, my clock is ticking. Is this how I want to spend, you know, just even if I do P90X every day for the rest of my life, there's still a chance I could d- drop out of a heart attack at 60. Like, 
He's accomplished a lot. He has kids that he hasn't spent a lot of time with. Let's just be brutally honest about that. And he's he'll say that himself. Like, I buy his personal reasons for doing this. I really, really do. Well, I'll say that my first reaction when I heard this was, oh, he wants to get some distance and then come back and run for president. Mm. So a cynical reaction. But I coached myself, as I would someone I worked with as a coaching client, to remember that my life is best when I take people at their word. Mm -hmm. So if he says that this is about his family, my life is better if I just say, that sounds good, Paul. Go, Go spend some time with your kids. I hate that we can't just say, you know what, he was really ineffective as the speaker under President Trump. And it's probably a good thing that he's moving on. Instead, it has to be like piece after piece, just slamming his personal integrity. Mm -hmm. And it makes me sad. It's another moment when I feel like we say we want bipartisanship and we just don't. We really don't. Because a lot of the writing right now isn't just about the last year. It's that he's always been a fraud. He's always been the worst guy in the world. He's always been a joke. Look. Has he been very effective as a legislator? Not really. I think he tried to do some good work. Maybe he didn't have the chops for all of that work. But I just don't see the need to, like, pile onto him as the worst person in the world. And listen, some of this comes from a place of me admiring his career early on. I admired that he went to Congress and wanted to work on the budget. That is an unpleasant task, right, that involves a lot of detail that doesn't make headlines. And I admired that he wanted to do that. And a lot of us would sit down and disagree about what the government should fund and what it shouldn't and how to lift people out of poverty. I just wish we could have a little bit of... Just move on. There's plenty to talk about right now. I don't need to spit on Paul Ryan. Well, here's the only thing that as I was doing this deep dive into his life that kind of made me super cynical about him is I really don't appreciate someone who has made a career of busting on the government, basically living in Washington, D.C. since they graduated college, which he most certainly has. Like he worked as an aide. He worked as a speechwriter. He did an internship there. And then he ran for Congress. I didn't know how he got elected as this like, I'm going to go clean up with D.C. when he's basically lived there his entire adult life. And like that, when I was reading that, I was like, what the heck? Like he's, I mean, literally never worked outside D.C. So that really bothered me after like sort of knowing his personal narrative. I mean, I do think it was interesting. I was reading in Politico the write-up of the the race to replace him between Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise. And like they were saying like, you know, Boehner had no child but left behind. And Paul Ryan did have a significant amount of legislative achievements to bring to the table as a speaker. And neither of them do because it's just getting harder and harder to have significant legislative achievements. You know, the... One of the pieces that was recommended to us on our Twitter feed was a piece by John Lovett on Crooked Media in which he said, Paul Ryan broke my heart. And he basically was doing that sort of, you know, he has no personal integrity. But honestly, you know, what's so weird is that I sort of he he made an argument to me that I hadn't heard that I kind of believe a little bit, which is the idea that if you're a person who wants to take away entitlement, there is like this there only a cynical approach available to you, which is sort of distract people and wave your hands while trying to get accomplished because you can't just come out and say like, oh, by the way, we want to dial down your social security. And I thought, oh, I never thought about it that way, that maybe like my cynicism is misplaced. It's not that they just, they believe strongly that this is the right thing to do to scale back the size of the government, but you can't do that in a sort of an open, honest way. But, you know, I do think that for a lot of reasons, the Wisconsin, his, the fact that he's so young, I do think he got away with a lot of disingenuous statements that he probably knew were not 100 percent accurate. You know, I think they all I think all politicians do that. I'm not talking about Donald Trump in this category. I think he's a category unto himself with regards to his relationship with the truth. Um, But I think Paul Ryan liked what for maybe because of, you know, privilege based on his identity was like got away with that more than other people would. I think he was more dishonest than he had a reputation for being because he was interpersonally Someone people like dealing liked dealing with. That's sort of across the board what you hear about him. I think he 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 was in a privileged position and got away with more than other people would have, and still had this this 
this reputation that maybe wasn't completely deserving. And I think it's important to kind of look back on all that, especially someone saying they're retired. Let's look at their career. What do we learn from it? What did they get away with? What should they not have gotten away with? I did not appreciate his whole, like, the whole problem with Washington, D.C. right now is identity politics. Like, we can't talk about policy because, well, people's identity is important to them, Paul Ryan. Like, diversity and perspective as the leadership of the Congress shows up at the White House and it is literally a line of white guys. Like, that's a problem, and not just because people are over-emotional about their identity. Like, I was not I was not feeling that from him. But, you know, overall, I believe him for why he's saying he's leaving, and I don't have any problem looking back on his career and saying whether, whether it, was it worth it or was it not, what can we learn from him? The identity politics statement I thought was ridiculous and mm-hmm. disgraceful in a lot of ways, especially because if you have an identity politics problem in Washington, D.C. right now, it is partisanship and it's creating your identity around your party Mm -hmm. instead of trying to do the right thing. So, look, I don't feel defensive of Paul Ryan in any way. I just I hate the ugliness. And, you know, to the point about how you have to cynically deal with entitlement reform. That's not my way, but I understand why people feel that way, because the second you say, guys, Social Security seems to be bankrupting our country. The response is you hate poor people. You hate elderly people. You know, we we aren't having adult conversations about mm-hmm. these things. And I think that that's part of the reaction to Paul Ryan's departure. I want to have adult conversations. Again, I do not feel defensive of him. Paul Ryan broke my heart, too. I want to ask you a sincere question about something you just said. You talked about him living in D.C. forever and then saying, you know, I, I want to clean up Washington. And I've heard you many times say people who hate the government shouldn't run it. And I agree with that. But there's a difference between hating the government and believing that the government is too large, believing that the government doesn't operate efficiently and effectively, believing that the government isn't the solution to every problem. Would you rather have someone who has spent a career learning about the government than trying to reform it in their view or someone who's never spent a day in Washington running for Congress on this kind of drain the swamp message and coming in and trying to do it. I'd prefer because some, there has to be room for that perspective. I'd prefer someone I who think. was honest about it. I prefer someone that said, I've lived my entire adult life in Washington, D.C. working on the Capitol and here are the problems I see. But he doesn't say that. He says, you know, we all us all as common people out in Wisconsin Right. know that there's a big problem up there. Like, you need to send me up there to clean it up. You were already there, Paul Ryan. Like, that's what that's what bothers me. Be honest. Don't build this narrative that it's a just it's a disgraceful place. Say it's a I've worked there my whole life. There are good people trying to do good work. Here are the problems that I see based on that experience. That to me is what, what was missing. From a sales perspective, I think that's a really difficult message, though, yeah. right? That's why they don't do it. And, look, they should do it. I'm I'm not, again, defensive of any of this. But let's be honest about the environment that they're operating. And there are reasons why we are where we are. I really have been thinking about how so much of what's happening right now is the result of inertia and just that these objects came into motion and they have stayed in motion. And that is leading us. It's almost like we're living out the slippery slope because no one has come in to put the brakes on in the way that Republicans campaign, in the way that Mm -hmm. Republicans govern, in the way that media covers. I mean, what Sean Hannity continues to do, I just can't even believe it. I don't Promoted by the president of the United States. The president of the United States goes on Twitter and says, watch Sean Hannity tonight, and we all don't even blink because that's become normal, even though that is completely unacceptable. And I'm sitting here saying that as a person who frequently describes myself as like a Paul Ryan circa 2005 Republican. I agreed with a lot of what I believe that Paul Ryan went to Washington to accomplish. But this whole thing is a train wreck. (laughs) He stayed. He was already there. Maintain that point. Well, and here's the other thing. It's a paradox, right? They have to respond to the culture, but also at some point. We have to hold our members of Congress and our public servants responsible for the conversation itself. Absolutely. They are, you know, like the idea that they just have to, oh, well, they're just they're in this tough spot. Well, then lead. Lead the conversation. Stop treating people like children. Treat them like adults. And Paducah this week, we voted on a smoke-free ban. 
And I said something that arguably is not the greatest political statement to say, but I thought, let's just be, I, w- I need you to be, I need to be honest with you instead of just protecting my political future, which people were, you know, people were saying, this is the government overreach, the government overreach. And I said, the government reaches into your life all the time and tells you how to use products that are legal to own. It reaches into your car and says, you may not drive this, you may own this car, you may not drive it without wearing a seatbelt. So let's stop acting like that, you know, any sort of government intervention is just attacks on all our liberty because that happens all the time every day and yes should we have a conversation about it every time should that just be that the default shouldn't be to be allowed the government to do that but when there's good evidence and when there's good call for it and when we're we have a policy objective then yes and like it's not automatically bad like let's talk about it in a more complex way and I wish that more public servant not to pat myself on the back but I do wish more public servants would say like I know nobody wants to hear this but this is the reality and that's my job to tell you the reality and not just tell you what you want to hear I agree with all of that. And, you know, and and part of the reason I'm pushing a little bit today is because I feel like we're having a conversation in reverse because you're usually the person saying, don't hate the player, hate the game. Mm-hmm. And what I want to acknowledge is I am upset with Paul Ryan. Look, I don't think he should be the speaker anymore. I don't think he has exercised his responsibilities in that office. I am not willing to do the, well, he he stepped up and did it when nobody else would. And so I'm not willing to to treat him like a Boy Scout. At the same time, I want to acknowledge that he is operating in an environment and a context, and I don't think that we need to personally skewer him when it is enough to say, professionally, this has been a failure and it's time to move on. Speaking of time to move on, we're going to share the rest of Beth's interview with Major Jason Baker as they discuss North Korea and the role of the military abroad. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. 
leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. I know, Jason, that you recently came back from South Korea, and obviously Korea is in the news as kind of the second item in John Bolton's inbox as he comes into the Trump administration because there is this contemplation of direct talks between President Trump and Kim Jong-un. The first thing I want to ask you, because I think that we're so far removed from this in the United States, is like, what is the mood in South Korea right now? How would you describe just the feeling of being there? So I found out this was not a kind of a planned trip for me. Most of the time I deploy, it's it's uh, with quite a bit of advance warning. And, you know, I hesitate to even call it a deployment because currently it's a, it's a static armistice situation. So I don't mean to, uh, for anyone listening that listen to a podcast while they're sitting in Afghanistan. I don't mean to compare my deployment here to yours. Or I found out on pretty short notice in light of, you know, their recent missile tests around Christmas time and left just after the first of the year. And it was tense when I got there. And we thought something maybe is gonna going to give. Are they going to try to test the missile again and see what we do about it or, or things like that? That being said, it was actually really difficult for me to kind of tell if it was more stressful than usual because only being there three months, some people are there stationed one to two years at a time and they live that, you know, you've heard it on the news, that fight tonight mentality every day. You know, they go into work every day with this might have to happen tonight. Multiple times while I was there, the the base actually did exercises of sirens going off in the middle of the night. This is an exercise put on your chemical gear, come into work, and you're going to do your job in your chemical gear because, you know, that that could be a thing that actually happens. So I don't know if this is comforting to the American people or actually terrifying, but everyone that is there is sort of in this state of acceptance of they might have to be ready to do those things right, right now uh, at the drop of a hat. And so in a really weird way, it was just sort of a calm clarity. One of the bosses that I worked for kind of put it as like a busy night in an air control tower or like a busy night at a mission control. Like, you know, you're watching the Apollo 13 movie, like the busyness before the big problem occurs. So it did not actually up my stress level uh, in that way, other than just, you know, learned plenty that I didn't actually know before I got got over there that then it's a whole different level of stress. There are aspects of what we understand about North Korea that I think are fascinating from a cultural perspective. And I think that's where most Americans have maybe spent our focus in trying to understand the Kim family. What do you wish Americans knew about them that we don't? I'm thinking of things like the way that they operate in Africa to train their forces and just some of the less compelling kind of social stuff about them and more like what things that help us put this threat into context. Sure. So I actually got to visit the the DMZ uh, while I was there and, and some of the surrounding areas. And like you said, everybody sort of focuses on, I got to see up close, like you look across the DMZ and you're looking at these fake villages, essentially that, you know, they're trying to look like it's a, it's a big deal to people looking across, but they're really just almost plywood fronts. You know, they're not, they're not real. Uh, we're building a flagpole taller than the South Korean flagpole is what's important. And it's very easy for us as the American public to be like, look, they're such a joke. You know, they, they have this propaganda that who could possibly believe it. You know, they, they all stand in the streets and cheer missile launches, but they have a very 
formidable, if for no other reason than the size uh, of their military, formidable military that has a lot of advantages when it comes to terrain and their ability to, to hide and move weapons. Um, and they could inflict a lot of damage. Is the, is the American South Korean coalition stronger than the North Korean military? Absolutely. Without a doubt. But they are, they are not a pushover. They would not be a pushover. Um, and I think the biggest takeaway that I would just things that I know that I think the American citizen could take away is that Kim Jong-un might be evil in his how he keeps control, but his aim is to stay in power. And in that way, he is irrational, you know, to use the word rational in that way, not rational like you or I, but rational in the sense of I want to stay in power. Therefore, I do things to that end. If he was irrational, he would launch an attack thinking he could win. He would do irrational things. But uh, to not treat him as a rational actor on the world stage, I think it, it would be dangerous. Uh, and I think maybe a lot of people don't understand that. So with that in mind, what do you make just as Jason, not as the Air Force or the government, of the idea of direct talks between President Trump and Kim Jong-un? I think on, on their face, they're good. Um, and this is not, when I say this, this even just as myself, this is not a personal indictment of the president, just more of how I believe such a process should go. I think kind of going straight to the top with talks is a poor idea in the sense that what happens if either side doesn't get what they want out of those talks? Normally when talks like this happen, there's sort of the pre-negotiation phase, i.e., what has to happen for us to talk? Then what, are, what do we want to get out of the talks? And then you send progressively more and more important uh, diplomats to start sort of doing the pre-bargaining. You know, would this be on the table for you? Would this be on the table for you? What would we have to do? What would we expect you to do? You bring allies on board. You move forward and forward and forward until that sort of summit big thing, let's sign the deal between presidents or leaders of state or supreme leaders, if you will, uh, is to maybe hammer out those last final little things and put the ceremonious agreement on it. So when I say that I think, when I say that I'm cautiously optimistic about it, the caution is that I fear, um, again, and this would be with any president, that if you start at the top, especially with somebody like a Kim Jong-un, what happens if President Trump walks away from that meeting not having got what he wanted? What other option is there now? We've essentially said we tried to talk and, and we're done. We're done here. So I guess that's the, that's the part that concerns me. I like that there's going to be talks, but I worry about starting at that high of a level. What could we want? So I'm thinking about the way that this administration talks about the Iran nuclear agreement, the JCPOA, and how unhappy this administration is with that agreement. I also think, and I understand those criticisms and share some of them, just to be fair. What is the want going into talks with North Korea, though? Because I I just think that it's unrealistic of the United States to believe that every country in the world but us is going to denuclearize. I would agree with that. So we've kind of long stated that really the only, our only goal is North Korea, give up, give up your nukes. And without even commenting on whether or not I think that's the right policy, I just think that perhaps it isn't on the sole basis of, I do not believe Kim Jong-un is going to do that without serious concessions that we are not probably willing to make. Um, in the news lately has been a lot of the whole North Korea is ready to talk about denuclearization of the Korean peninsula. And I think a lot of people go, oh, wow, that sounds great. And I go, um, that's that word does not mean what you think it means. Uh, I believe when they say we're ready to talk about denuclearization, they're like, sure, we'll give up our weapons. If Americans are no longer in South Korea and South Korea is no longer protected by the American nuclear umbrella. We have a lot of allies that don't have nuclear weapons themselves, but are essentially protected by ours. And South Korea is one of those. And when they say denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, I think they mean it. Denuclearization, i.e. nobody has them. Nobody's going to be using them there. And I just don't think 
the South or the United States are going to go, yeah, we're willing to make that concession um, because uh, the South knows that they, they need us there. Strong military, good military. I worked with them. True South Korean patriots, if they use such a word there. But they they are in trouble one-on-one versus North Korea without being able to, to, to use a basketball analogy to play zone with us. Uh, you know, they, they need us. And I don't believe they're willing to make that concession as much as we wouldn't be able to. I want to go back to where we started when we first began talking about civilian and military relations. Given everything that we've just discussed about North and South Korea, about Syria, about treating our military members as heroes, about the lack of congressional support expressed through authorizations, the use of military force. When I think about our treatment of veterans in the United States and suicide and the prevalence of long-lasting mental health conditions that lead to underemployment, unemployment, homelessness, what can we be doing better? And I recognize that's an enormous question yeah. that could take us yeah. into the VA and could, you know, could take sure. us all over the place. But when I ask you that, where does your mind immediately go? I actually, uh, at my, uh, my high school in Illinois, I was there for Veterans Day and, and I, they basically asked me to speak about that. And, you know, I said, everybody talks about how the active military is less than 1% of the population. But I think the veteran population is even only like six or seven percent. It's this small group of people, um, and, and the biggest, on top of things like PTSD and just people seeing some really truly heinous things, and, and how difficult that can be to deal with. There's this real sort of, you know, when you are treated like a hero and held on this pedestal, and you're sort of the protector of the country, and that's the the narrative that we always push. Now, one day after four, eight, 10, or maybe even a whole career years, you leave and you're like, well, now what? And everybody likes to spend a lot of time talking about the heroes and those serving and protecting us. But then we sort of don't talk about the veterans issues as much. And so I just think that the there's a lot of groups, you know, different veteran groups on Twitter these days that are that are trying to promote messages of. Don't try to pretend to speak for us. Don't try to think you know what we think about veterans' health or past wars or future wars or, you know, even the gun issue has turned into a, a veteran issue of, well, surely all the veterans think that I should be able to have as many AR-15s as I want. And, you know, most veterans are like, no, I've seen what they can do. I'd, I'd really just prefer not, or at the very least, don't try to insert me into your into your politics. So... You know, like you say, you could go down a whole rabbit hole with the VA and the problems that they have there. I truly believe that the current administration is trying to make that better. Um, if I had to say there is one thing military related that I just believe them at their face value when they say that needs to get better, that is actually one of them. Um, and I hope it can continue to get some wrinkles worked out there. But I think just we need we, the American people, more listening to veterans and what they have to say rather than using them as political props, speaking for them, um, you know, assuming you think, you know, how they might vote in an election or things like that. That's usually where my mind goes is don't, whether you're a politician or you're just a guy that lives on main street, don't, don't try to pull veterans into an issue where that veteran isn't choosing to insert himself into it. I think that's a big cause of veteran frustration these days. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We will be back with you on Tuesday and look forward to your feedback between now and then. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Support for Pantsuit Politics comes from our listeners. We especially appreciate our executive producers, George Niedermeyer, Tracy Pidoff, Nicholas Holland, and Chad Silvers. Our theme music was written and performed by Dante Lima. To support Pantsuit Politics, please visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. Subscribe and leave a rating and review in the Apple Podcast Player and follow us on Twitter at Pantsuit Politic and Facebook and Instagram at Pantsuit Politics.